Kids, don't take off yet. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. I knew I'd be throwing a loop into a little bit of a loop this morning. Last week when Jessica was uh, talking about uh, doing a testimony with her and Annie and uh, saying, you know, share your story. As I was sitting there, I was like, I remembered that there was a testimony that I had that from back in the fall that I hadn't shared yet. And usually most of my stories end up in my messages. And so I don't usually take testimony time for myself. But I was like, I haven't shared that one. And I think it'd be a big blessing just uh, when back in the... Um, in October, we were uh, sharing on faith. We spent most of the time, most of the fall, talking about faith. And as we were going through uh, Mark chapter 11, where Jesus speaks to the the fig tree and commands it to die, and it says it dried up from the roots. And then his disciples were like, "Hey, that's crazy, you know." And Jesus said, "No, no, no, guys, have faith in God." So here's what I say to you: Who uh, any of you, if you speak to the mountain and you tell it to be removed, it'll listen to you. And so that's what we were talking about in the fall. And so to give you, a, let's back up two and a half years before that. Two and a half years ago, um, I developed a corn and a, on my foot, one on the on the on the pad and one on the big toe. And, you know, it, I don't know where it came from or anything like that, but it, it grew there. And I, I was like, this is kind of painful. I should do something about it. And so I did what you normally do. You buy the, you know, that acid, whatever, and you pour the acid and you scrub it and you put those little pad things on. And I did that for like two months and it didn't go away. It got worse. And so those two little t t corns turned into like a dozen in one cluster and then a whole bunch on the big toe and then it spread to the other toe and it spread to the other toe so it went from having these two corns that were inconvenienced to now I had this whole cluster across my foot that was starting to be painful as I was walking so now let's get back to October so we were talking about when Jesus spoke to the tree and commanded it to die and it said it dried up from the roots and so I was sitting down one day and I was putting on my sock back in October and I looked down and I saw those clusters and I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me like why haven't you spoken to it and I was like I don't know <laughs> like and I, I ran through all these different thoughts in my head like I already tried to treat it on my own but I never asked God about it I didn't talk to him about it and he just said why didn't you speak to it and he didn't say why didn't you pray about it he didn't say why didn't you ask me to heal it he said why didn't you speak to it and that's where we get into a lot of problems when it comes to sickness in our body. We're praying God, asking him to heal us, but Isaiah says he's already born all sickness and disease and pain and all sorrow and suffering. That's past tense. You don't need to pray about those things. You don't have to ask God for them. He's already given it to you. Peter said that by his stripes you were healed. And so Jesus' lesson in Mark 11 was, speak to the mountain, and you tell it to be removed. He didn't say, tell me to remove the mountain. He said, you move it. And so just there in that moment, as I was sitting there putting on my sock, I just said, corns, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I command you to dry up from the roots and be gone. Now, I don't actually know when they left, because I said it, and I went on with life. And it was probably a few weeks later, I sat down again to put on my sock, and I went, they're not there anymore. Completely gone. That, the, all those clusters had dried up. Not just part of them, not just part of the way. I don't even have scars where they were, and they were a big cluster. It, they just 
some point, I don't know when, they dried up, they left, and I went on living life. Because Jesus said, speak to the mountain. And if you've got things going on in your body, you speak to it. You say, heart, pump like you're supposed to. Body, function as you're supposed to. You speak to the mountain, and it has to be removed. Amen. That's just my little testimony for this morning. Kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have fun. Awesome. Well, Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you that this is the only one of this day we get. We thank you for January 28th, that, that just as your word said, that this is the day that you have made, and so I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I thank you, Lord, for the time we've had this morning to be able to worship and declare and shout about how great you are. And we thank you, Lord, right now we turn our attention to your word. And as we open it, Holy Spirit, we ask you to take hold with us and let it root down into our life where it can produce fruit. And so we thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to see you on this January 28th, and I'm glad this weekend's weather was a little better than this week's weather because we got a whole bunch of ice and we had to cancel some events, and, and now we got to come to church and gather and be together, and it's good. The psalmist said, how glad I was when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so we have that opportunity that we can gather this weekend, and we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Colossians. And as I said last week, we haven't really made it that far. We, we've just kind of tiptoed into verse 10, which isn't very far out of the four chapters. And I told you last week that we're not going to be in a rush with it. We're going to take the necessary rabbit trails that we need to, to bring the depth of understanding. So when Paul says something, we actually know what he means about that. It's not just a passing comment. Every part of the word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's for our learning and for our admonition, for our correction, for our rebuke, so that we might be able to stand and be, and, 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 uh, I don't know, what do you want to say there, Holy Spirit? That we can stand against every onslaught of the enemy. Because he knows what's coming your way before you step into it. And he can prepare your heart ahead of time. Come on. There's so many things that we walk through that we shouldn't have had to because the Holy Spirit was prepping our heart months or weeks or even years before. Develop this in your life. Get yourself ready. Be ready to believe. Be ready to be patient. Be ready to stand and declare and say, no, not today, devil. This is my life, and I'm the one who's in charge here. The Lord has given me authority, and I'm going to speak to you and command you to go. And so he prepares us in those things ahead of time. And I find that the Lord has been so faithful for me in my life that he starts prepping my heart that I'm reading things long before I get to something that he knew I would need. Uh, that I'm in the Word, and all of a sudden it's like I hit a situation, and the Word rises up to meet it because it's been planted in your heart, ready to respond. And so I want to say we're taking our time because I believe there's things that the Lord is wanting to burn into our hearts so that they're ready. It's like, nope, we've already prepared. We're ready. 
Come on. And so we're looking at the church of Colossae, which Paul was writing to. And we told you they are in the province of Phrygia, which is right next to the province of Galatia, which is in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And we told you that this is not a church that Paul planted himself. And on top of that, it's a church he's never even visited. He tells us that in, in chapter 2, that I have such a heart for those of you that have not seen my face in the flesh. And so our understanding is that it's most likely was Epaphras that had planted this church. But at the very least, they uh, knew Epaphras. He was from this region of Phrygia, and so their connection was to Epaphras, and Epaphras was friends with Paul. And so along the line, when Paul was in this area, he's having these conversations with Epaphras, and Epaphras is telling him about the church at Colossae. And one of the things Epaphras says to him is that he has declared to us your love in the Spirit. And that is such a great statement to be made. He didn't say, he, you're really great people. He didn't say you're really prosperous people. He said, no, he's declared to us how much you love the things of the Spirit. And I think God is wanting more and more in this day to have churches that actually love the things of the Spirit. Because he said, don't even leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit, because you need him. He said, you'll receive power when he comes upon you. So what a testimony for the church at Colossae that the thing that Epaphras was boasting about was they love the things of the the Spirit. And let that be said about us. Man, I just love the things of the Holy Spirit because He's the one that leads and guides us into all truth. Jesus said He's the one that shows us things to come. We were talking about preparation. He shows us what you need before you even get there. He's the one that brings things to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit, and I've said this in the past, He's like the ultimate cheat code. He brings things to your remembrance. You got a test ahead of you? He brings things to your remembrance. You should be confessing that over yourself. That what I need to know, I know when I need it because the Holy Spirit brings it up to me. He leads us into paths of peace. When we get in those moments where we're, where we're feeling all the chaos and the confusion and the discontentment, He leads us into paths of peace. Why be uneasy when the Holy Spirit can lead you into peace? And it says that he shows us how to glorify the Father in all things. And so Epaphras has relayed this to Paul. They love the things of the Spirit. And Paul says, and for that reason, because you love the things of the Spirit, since the day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you. Why? Because Paul knows I'm just going to talk to the Holy Spirit. This is what I'm believing, Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to do in them because I know they're going to listen to you. And so rather than him doing this big teaching, he's like, I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit. And John said in 1 John, he says, you don't even need for anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit knows all things. So you can have things rise up that you've never learned. And he's just like, yeah, I'm teaching you that. And so Paul goes to prayer. And he says, I don't cease to pray for you. And this is the first thing. He says, I ask that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so the first thing Paul prays, he's like, God, fill him with understanding and knowledge about your will. Your will. 
And so we spent the last two weeks talking about the will of God. We went from two different directions when we were talking about it. And I told you, and I want to remind you again, the first thing as believers that we have to come to the understanding of is that God has a will for you, concerning you. He has plans concerning you. He has things for you to pursue. He has desires in regards to you. It's not about I just do whatever I want, whenever I want. No, God has plans for you. And we should want those plans and have an understanding of them because it says his ways are higher than his ways and his thoughts are better than our thoughts. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, or do you not know that you are not your own? Oh, don't tell me that, Pastor Jordan. I am a strong, independent person and I know. No, that's, that's garbage. That is worldly garbage. You don't need to be strong and independent. No, you need to be fully relying and dependent upon the Lord. It says, for without Him you can do no thing. Don't fall for the world's interpretation of how things should be. You will be stronger and more independent from the world when you are yielded and dependent on the Lord. It says, don't you know that you're not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so I want to start again today of the reinforcement that God has a plan and a desire and a will and things for you to pursue. We all, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. says, for I know the plans I have for you. And we could stop there and say, do you know the plans he has for you? Because God's first saying, I know what I've planned for you. I know it, but do you know it? And, you know, we could get religious about it and be like, oh, we just can't. You can never know. You can never know. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that have entered into the heart of man that God has prepared for them. Hogwash. The next verse says, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. So you can know the plans and he'll reveal them to you by the Holy Spirit. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they are plans for good, not for disaster. So let's just kill a, cafe, a, a religious calf right now with it. When you went through hard times, it was not the Lord teaching you. Because his plan was for good, not for disaster. That doesn't negate that you went through some things. And the Lord, he will bind you up, he will heal those wounds, and he will set you walking. That you don't have to stay where the damage was done, where the abuse was done, where the pain was, was created. No, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'll fear no evil because he's with me. And so it may not have been his intention for you to walk through that. It wasn't his plan, but he will be right there with you to bind up your wounds. Jesus said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to set free the captives. So he says, I have good plans for you, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Everyone say, I have a future. There's so many seasons that we can walk through in our lives. When the pressure starts getting on, we don't see a way out. You don't have to see it. You have to know it. God, you've got a future for me. 
And when it's time to step, I know I'll know what it is. But I've got a future. I am not trapped. I am not stuck. I'm not on the waste pile. No, I've got a future, and I have a confident expectation about those good things to come. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Your own understanding would be what you know and what you think you should do. Because there's going to be times in your life, trust me, that there's going to be things you know and things you think you should do, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, do this instead. And it's going to be hard on your flesh where you're like, why would I do that? He knows things you do not know. Remember last week we were talking about James said, don't say this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this city. We're going to buy. We're going to sell. We're going to make a profit. He said, don't say that. He said, instead, you should say, Lord, if this is your will, we'll go and do that. Because he says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. But God does. Good plans for future and a hope. And so he says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. What is that? What is acknowledgement? It means, God, I know you're present right here with me. Your word says you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me, that whenever I come before you and I ask anything according to your will, I know you hear it, and if you hear it, I know that I have the petitions that I've asked of you. So, Father, right now I'm asking you, give me wisdom, because the word says if you lack wisdom, ask, and he'll give it to you in abundance or liberally. That's acknowledgement. It's talking to God and saying, God, here's what I think, here's what I know, what should I do? Where should I go? And here's something I've learned about the Lord is that he's not, when we talk about the will of God, he is not a micromanager. He's not going to tell you, this is what I want you to do because this is my plan. And No, a lot of the times he'll look at your heart and say, what do you want to do? Do you know that he trusts you? He trusts you to make good decisions. He trusts you to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and go through and learn and, and find out what the Word has said about you. And so not every time it's always about him saying, directing, you got to do this. Well, I don't want to do that, Lord. No, he'll work with your heart, and as he knows he can trust you, he'll say, what do you want to do? And then there's other times where we haven't developed that time of relationship where he has to say, hey, stop, go this way. But God is not a micromanager, and he will never force you to do anything. But you can stop and be like, God, I'm listening. I'm open. I'm willing to be moved and, and redirected to whatever way you want. And it says, as we acknowledge him, he'll direct our paths. Now, I've been quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 out of the King James Version for the last few weeks. But uh, this morning, I want to read it out of the Amplified Version. Where it says this in chapter 2, verse 10. Paul tells them, we are his workmanship. A work of art. That We should stop there for a second. Do you realize that God looks at you and says, very good. You know, when he created humanity, that's what he said, very good. Very good. Very good. And when he looks at you, he sees his workmanship. His craftsmanship. A work of art. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, oh, I see the flaws, I see the wrinkles, I see the pain. And he says, no, no, I see you as a work of art. And we have the option 
to shift our thinking away from how we think about ourselves and begin to think about ourselves as God thinks about us. Man, we're going a, a lot of different emphasis than what I was planning this morning. But God sees you, loves you. He knows everything about you, the good, the bad, the ugly. And he still says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're the one that I love. They're the one that I sent Jesus to do something about. You are his workmanship, his work of art. You are created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used. Say, Lord, I'm ready to be used for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand, taking the paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prepared and made ready for us. And so when we follow the plan and the will of God, he's moving you in to the good life that he's prepared for you. Saying, I don't, I don't know, my life doesn't look very good. Then start listening and start following and start moving and step into the things that he's prepared for you because he's got good plans, not disaster, give you a future and a hope. Amen? And so he's got the good life, and that completely lines up with what the definition of the word for the will of God is, which is the word thylema, which firstly is what one wishes or has determined should be done. And in the context of the verses, who is the one? God. God has things that he wishes and things that he has determined should be done. And the reason why he's determined, it tells us in the second definition, that it's the purpose to bless mankind through Christ. And so we've been saying the will of God is not a punishment. It's a promotion. It's a protection. It's a provision. It's a peace. Amen? And so God has a good life that he's, in, he's planned for us all to step into as we flow and as we listen. And I want to be going to be the first to tell you there's been a lot of times in my life where I know that the Lord was leading me this way. And I said, no, thanks, I'll do this way. And I know every time I've been like, yeah, your way would have been better. Right? He's got good plans for us. And there's certain areas of our lives where we're just more yielded than other areas. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And then God says, well, what about this area? I'd like to work on it. And we're like, no. Come on. No, don't touch that. And he won't work in areas that we're not willing to offer up to him. And the, 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 the bottom line of where we're starting today is I want to remind you that God knows exactly where you need to be to thrive. Think about this. He knew exactly where to place this planet that we live on so that it, life could thrive on here. A little bit closer, we burn up. A little bit further, we freeze. He knew exactly the right angle the earth needed to be at so that we could have four seasons instead of one. Why? Because there's people who like the snow. I know, crazy, isn't it? There's people who like the hot, hot weather. I'm sorry, it gets over 30, and I'm like, sorry, I'm cranking up my AC. I'm not one of those people who love the hot, hot heat. Some people love those things. There's animals that he's created that when they head south, they hit a certain point, and they're like, it's too hot. I'm going back. He knew exactly what angle the earth needed to be at so that we could have that, so that he could fulfill this person's joy and that person's joy all in one. 
What I'm saying is he knew exactly where this earth needed to be so that humanity could thrive because he's wise and he knows. And if he knows where the earth needs to be, he knew where the stars needed to be placed. He knew what needed to be put in place so we could have gravity on this earth. He knows where you need to be too right? He knows what you need to be doing. He knows what the character and the content of your heart needs to be. And so that's where we were last week. We were looking at, in week number one, God has a will for where you go and what you do and what you work. But last week we were talking about he has thoughts and ideas and desires for you concerning your character and your conduct. And it's not hard to decipher the will of God. And so if you've got that mentality, throw it out. The word of God has lots to say about the will of God concerning you. And so we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 last week, and we were looking at some things that Paul told them, this is the will of God for you. And what were they? Comfort one another and build each other up. I don't know what the will of God is. Well, you know that. Go find somebody to comfort and build up. He said, be at peace one from, with one another. If you have an animosity between you and another, make peace. Go and forgive. Well, I don't want to forgive. They were mean. That's okay. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Be at peace one for another. He said, warn those who are unruly. If there's people acting out and getting outside of the word of God, it's okay to say, hey, get back on track. Come on, Paul did that with the Corinthians, right? There was a man in that church who was openly sleeping with his stepmother and boasting about it. And Paul said, hey, you know, concerning that guy we've talked about, if you've talked to him once, you've talked to him twice, and he's not willing to listen, kick it out. Come on. Well, that's pretty harsh. No. He's been told, and he's been chosen not to do, to change. It's okay. Come on. But do you know what happened? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, Concerning the one that we spoke of, I'm fine with what, you, what you've done, and you've been able to bring restoration. So, Paul had an idea of what they should do. The Corinthians obviously talked to God and were able to bring restoration. But that, there was an unruly one, so they said, straighten out. Paul, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, concerning the will of God, he says, don't quench the spirit. When the Spirit of God is moving, get yourself in line with it rather than say, well, I wanted Pastor Jordan to preach right now and he's praying for everybody. No, we fall with the Holy Spirit where we need to go. If we got to stop and we got to worship the whole time instead of preach, that's fine. We're going to follow the Holy Spirit. I could say, no, 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 you've had your 20 minutes, Tove. It's now my time. No, we don't quench the Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us in our attitudes to shut the, the switch off and be like, mm. I told you last week, when you're preaching and you're sensitive, you can feel when, feel when people are pulling and people are just popping it out of you. It's like, I wasn't planning on saying that. And you can also feel when people put the brakes on. It's like, oh, that went over like a lead grenade. It says, don't quench the spirit. It says, don't despise prophecy. It's like, rejoice always and be glad, for this is the will of God for you. And so when you say, well, what's the will of God? The Word of God is the will of God. It's His last will and His, his testament. It's His idea of what you should have and what you should be and what you should do. And guess what? You are joint heirs together with Jesus. And so as He is, so should you be on this earth. And how He operated, that's what you're supposed to be. 
God knows exactly where you need to be to thrive, and the will of God is not a mystery. And so he ends that sequence in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He goes on to say spirit, soul, and body. But when he says the word sanctify, we have to have an understanding of what he's saying. He's talking about an external change. Salvation was an internal change. The real you, the spirit man, was completely transformed in that moment. Paul told the Corinthians that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But when he talks about sanctification, that's about transforming how you act, how you talk, where, what, where your conduct and your character has. It means to purify externally. You know, Paul told them, he said that, he said, in a good house, in a great house, there are different vessels. There's gold, there's silver, there's wood, there's hay. And it says, if any man cleanse himself of these, he'll be fit for the master's use. There's things that we get ourselves off into where God's saying, I can't bless that, I can't use that. But he says, if any man would cleanse himself, meaning put, put it aside and step into his will and his, his intentions for you, he's like, I can bless that. I can use that. And so Paul ends the will of God in chapter 5 by saying, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Meaning let him go the whole way with you and transforming you from the inside out. Growing up there was a song we used to sing that there's something on the inside. It's working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. If you became a Christian and nothing has ever changed, come on, you got to get off of yourself and let him start flowing from the inside out and transform you from glory to glory. Because that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. As we behold him as in a mirror, we are transformed from glory to glory. And Paul knew, to, knew a thing or two about being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, being sanctified and being cleansed. Because he told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me or he's empowered me because he counted me faithful, putting me into this ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, and Paul adds this on top, I was an insolent man. <laughs> well, at least you're willing to admit it, Paul. Most people won't even get to that place. He's like, not only were my actions were wrong, he's like, my inside, my thoughts and my intents were wrong. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorant in my unbelief. And he said, and the grace of the Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Come on, so what transforms our lives? The grace of the Lord Jesus in faith and in love. Not our condemnation. You better fix it or else I'm going to... No, that's not what fixes it. The grace of the Lord Jesus will transform a life. And he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The word save there means to take you to the uttermost, to heal, to preserve, to protect, to cause you to thrive. And so the faithful saying is that Jesus, he will transform your life inside out. 
So Paul knew a thing or two about sanctification. And in Thessalonians, if we back up one chapter, and this is where we ended off last week, and it took us way too long to get here. It says, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. God's will is that you allow him to work through you and transform your life to purify you externally. But then he says something here that is connected because it's a colon. There's a colon at the end of sanctification, meaning the statement he just made is now connected to the next one. And he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And when we hear that, man, that's a way to quiet a crowd. Come on, they, they joke, we joke in the ministry that if you want to get a crowd to shut up, talk about money, sex, or kids. But the thing is, the Bible talks about money, sex, and kids. So if it's something that he talks about, it's something that we shouldn't uh, close our boundaries off to. He has some intentions for. And so here he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And the word that he uses for sexual immorality is the word pornea, which is where we get our word for pornography. But that's not what he's talking about. Come on, stay with me here for a moment. He said, sexual immorality, the word that is pornea, is the Greek catch-all word, word for actions in regard regarding sexuality that are outside God's intention and God's will. And this is something we have to talk about because as the world, this is what they say, a lot of theologians are like, we are now living in Canada in a post-Christian world, which I, I, find, I find that offensive because what you're saying is we're planning on limping into eternity? No. It said that God's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a glorious church, his chosen bride. He's not planning for things to collapse. No, there is a revival that's going to hit this earth. As things get darker, it's also getting lighter. And if you have the light of God on the inside of you in a city that's hit on a hill, cannot be hid. And so he's saying that there, there's actions that are not glorifying to God that you should move away from. And so when the world begins to tell us that man and man and woman and woman and all the other adjectives and all the other things that you can put in, no, that's not true at all. God's intention was he made Adam and Eve together because man needed a helper, someone equal to him. Paul said that each one should have their own spouse. And he's like, and if you want to stay single, hey, like I am, you can do that. You know, and when we say that, that, oh, Paul was this person who was single all his life, probably not. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, is what he said. And in order for him to sit on the council of the Pharisees, he would have had to have been married at one point. We don't know what happened to his wife. Maybe she's like, I don't like this new Christian thing. I'm out of here. Maybe that's the case. Maybe she died. We don't get that information. But Paul's saying, hey, if you don't want to get married, that's fine. But he said it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so what he's saying is abstain from sexual immorality. And so if, if theologians are saying we live in a post-Christian world, if we want to talk about Paul, he was living in a pre-Christian world. And Roman society, I think if we read the, the historical accounts of how they behaved and acted, it would shock us. It's a lot, lot more like what things we're heading into today than what we were 100 years ago. And so he's saying abstain. And what does the word abstain mean? It says have a strong decline, meaning like, nope, no thank you. But you notice he's talking about you and not about others. Well, often when we talk about this topic, it's all about how bad everyone else is. No, Paul's talking about you. You abstain. And that we have to, Christians, we have to understand that it's okay when the world is saying, this is how it's okay, do this. You can say, no, I won't. 
I don't want to. That's not a good thing. Come on, I know it's popular. Paul, like Paul said, each one of us should have a spouse. That doesn't mean have a spouse and five girlfriends on the side. Come on. You know, I, I, there are people in our community that believe that way, and it's not worked well for them. But what I'm saying is here, Paul said, the will of your God is for sanctification and that you should abstain from certain things. Why? Because he's wanting to bring you into a place where you can be fulfilled, you can be happy, and be sanctified. So when the world says we should do it this way because this is the best way, and God says you should do it this way, it's because he knows what the best way is. And so we are gracious with those around us, but when it comes to things of us, we can say, no, I don't think so. I don't think I will. Come on. This is, it's in the Bible, so we should talk about it. And there's a reason why he's telling, it, telling us this. The next verse he says, because each of you should know how to possess your own vessel. Think about that. He's saying, you should know how to control your own desires. Let's take this beyond his sexual immorality starting. In every area of our lives, you know should be able to possess your own vessel. No, I won't eat the whole cake. I can talk to myself here. Come on. No, I'm not going to sit on the couch today when I should probably get out for a walk and get suns. You should know how to possess your own vessel. Meaning, understand who the one is control in control is, because the world says, "Oh, there was there was an I had an affair. Oh, it was an accident." There are no accidents of that nature. You entertained thoughts, and then you allowed yourself to move through into action. And he says, "Each one of us should know how to possess our vessel." And when you don't want to get up in the morning because it's overcast, possess your vessel, get up and do it with joy. I know this is not the funnest message. But it's what Paul said in regards to the will of God. And we need the whole counsel of the word, right? And so he says, you should possess your own vessel. And he says, not in passion of lust or letting desires get out of hand like the Gentiles do who don't know God. Which means that those of us who do know God and the closer you get to, you'll understand that certain things are like, no, that's not beneficial to me. That will not cause profit in my life to go that direction. One, why do, why do I talk like this? Because I get emails all the time saying, I'm looking for an affirming church for my transsexual child. Is this going to be a place? And I can't, I have to say, no, it's not going to be a place because I can't affirm what the Word of God does not confirm. I can only give you the Word of God. The rest of it's just my opinion and my feelings and my desire. So here's the Word of God. So he says, don't be like the Gentiles who don't know God. There should be a difference from when we got saved and we began to walk with God, things should change. And so Paul, if he's living in a pre-Christian world, these people are being transformed and walking it out. And he's saying, okay, there's some things you just need to let go of. You don't need that. It's not beneficial. It's not prosperous for you. And he tells us why in the next verse. Are you ready? Because he doesn't want anyone to take advantage of you or defraud you in this matter. Meaning there's going to be things that the world holds up and says, oh, this is great, this is the real thing, and they're defrauding you. They're selling, selling you a cheap knockoff. Come on, I don't want to be defrauded in my money, 
I don't want to be defrauded in my character. I don't want to be taken advantage of in any area of my life. And so Paul says, abstain. Why? Because they're taking advantage of you. They're defrauding you. They're saying, this will make you happy. If you do this surgery, it'll make you happy. No, it won't. If you live this way, oh, you'll have so much more joy. No, you won't. God knows what will truly satisfy you and fulfill your life. And so he made it as he intended it to be. And we, can, we always, when we talk about stuff, people think, well, Solomon had like, you know, 300 wives and 500 concubines. Yeah, and he lost his, he lost his entire kingdom. Because after he built the temple of God and then his, his castle, he built temples for all his wife's God. And it didn't work out for them. They lost the kingdom. It was split in two, and it wasn't long before half of it was carried away into slavery. And not long after that, another half was carried off. You know, it was not a good thing. You know, oh, well, the, you know, Jacob had, you know, lots of wives. Yeah, and his children hated each other. They sold the one that he liked into slavery. You know, so it just because it happened doesn't mean it was the will of God right? It was not his desire and his plan. In the beginning, he said, Adam, it's not good that you be alone. I'm going to create someone who will fulfill that missing piece, that, that, that equality that is needed between spouses. God knows what makes our hearts truly happy and satisfied. Amen? So we said, already quoted uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in, uh, in uh, do you not know that you are, your body is the temple of the Lord? But he starts off and he says, flee sexual immorality. Now, that word for flee, if you want a good picture, what did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife is like, I want that slave boy. And she came and she grabbed hold of him and he's like, no, 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 no. And he spun right out of his clothes and ran out of the room naked. He's like, this ain't happening, woman. And I'm, 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 I'm out of here. That's what the picture is. He's saying flee. When, when people are saying this is how it is, it's like, Nope, nope, it isn't. I'm going over here. You can stay over there with all that garbage. I'm going to stay with God. And he says that every sin that a man does outside of his body is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, he sins against his own body. And what we, we may have lived different lifestyles in the past before Christian, you find that those, there's attachments that get grabbed on. And sometimes you got to go to the Lord and be like, Lord, Help me disattach all that garbage I was with. Lord, sanctify me and transform me from the inside out. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, for this reason, guys, because I know you love the things of the Spirit. Or, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Since that day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you, and we ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to know that when Paul talks about wisdom, he's talking about God's wisdom. When we're talking about his un God, spiritual understanding, it's not understanding as the world understands. Because Paul clarified that in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, 
but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. If you're trying to compare the things that God's revealing in his word and revealing by his Holy Spirit to the understanding of the word, world, you will come up short. He says, the natural man does not receive the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Or, that word, I don't like that word judges in this context, it's weighs all things. To weigh it out. Okay, here's what I think, and here's what the Word of God says. And as much as I feel like it should be this way, I'm going to weigh it out and go this way. And it says, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That second part is so important. When we choose to walk in character and conduct as God has intended, people are going to look and be like, oh, look at them. They think they're so cute, right? Oh, look at them. I'm going to keep doing my thing. You know, that, they can say that in the moment. But what do, what do we say? That the proof is in the, of the pudding is in the eating? <laughs> you know, you walk it out. You keep going. And they'll see like, okay, I'm living in this garbage. Why don't you seem to be affected by it? Because I'm out here walking. People will judge you for walking as God told you to walk. But you're going to have the benefit of it. You know, uh, right now we have Bennett in a pitching clinic in, in, in Ottawa. He goes once a week and he's, pitch, he's learning to pitch better with a really good coach. And something his coach said on Thursday, it struck me in regards to this. He said, you know, when, when you get your to spring training in a few months, people are going to be warming up this way, but you now know the proper way is this way. You go ahead and warm up as you should, not as they do. He's like, and at first, you're going to be warming up alone. After the game, when you're running sprints and everybody else is packing up, they're going to be like, oh, look at you running sprints. He's like, I guarantee you by the end of the season, they'll be running them too because they'll see the benefit. And I was like, that's just such a natural explanation of what the spiritual thing. People are going to be like, oh, look at them. Oh, trying to live like that. Oh, good for them, but that, not for me. Yeah, when the pressure gets on, they're going to look and seeing who's sinking and who's swimming. And we'll see the body of Christ being like, hey, this is how it is. Come on over and join us. And so it says he's, they're judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have, everyone say, I have, the mind of Christ. You know his thoughts. You're able to understand what his intentions for you. So Paul said, back to 1 Corinthians 9, that you be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And here's what's ha what happens when you begin to understand the will of God and walk in it. You begin to walk worthy of the Lord. You begin to walk in a manner that says, hey, I'm a son of the king. I'm not the son of a beggar. I'm the son of a king. I look like it. I walk like it. I talk like it. And I get the benefits of it. And it says fully pleasing him. Why? Faith pleases God. When he says this is how it is, you go and do it. He's like, ah, look at my kid. Yeah, it pleases God. And it says being fruitful in every good work. Walking in the will of God leads us into fruitfulness where we begin to produce in ways that we never did. And he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why? Because when you begin to walk out 
what you know, God knows he can trust you with more. He doesn't leave it there, though. He says, you'll be strengthened with all might. There'll be a power on the inside of you that empowers you to be able to go further and do more than what you used to do. This is because you're walking in the will of God. And he says, according to his glorious power, and we'll have all patience and long-suffering with joy. I know people don't like to hear about the word patience, but sometimes it, you have to be patient and let things work themselves out. Good things take time. And what does it just if, if it were easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> and he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance and the saints in the light. Come on, we'll end there today. When we walk in the will of God, you're able to access the things that he's prepared for you. And he says here, you'll be partakers of the inheritance. Paul prayed to the, for the Ephesians, and he said that they would know what is the inheritance and the saints in the light. What God has left for you. What, are, what is that? Good things. A future and a hope and not a disaster. These are all things that proceed from saying, I'm not going to walk as though I'm my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. God, I will walk your way wherever that may lead me. I will walk, uh, whatever I have to walk away from, I'll walk away from it as long as I stay with you from today until I step off into eternity. Lord, open up my eyes to be able to see and Lord, this morning, just as Paul prayed, we pray that each and every one here in this church and everyone that's watching online, we say, Father, fill them with all the knowledge of your will. Bring the word alive so that they can see the things that you've called them to be and called them to walk in. Because the life you've called us to is a life of victory. It's a life of overcoming, Lord. And so we thank you for it, and we give you honor and glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys are all blessed. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Uh, praise God. Word care team, why don't you come on and head up and go ahead up to the ready for prayer ministry. Well, glory be to God. Just like... Uh, Pastor Jordan told you the testimony of he spoke to those corns on his feet. We're going to speak to our seed that we're going to sow today and seed we've sown in the past. And uh, so let's say this confession together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, glory be to God. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm finding this is pretty thick, what you're sharing in Colossians. But, you know, a good thing to do is just... When you, when you go back home, when you're, you're, you're in the Word this week, go into Colossians, read it, meditate in it slowly, and let all these, I know he was beyond Colossians and Corinthians and all over the place, but 
just do that. I'm actually, my devotions, I'm heading into Colossians, and I'm, I want to spend some time there. Amen. And as you do that, when uh, you hear the preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that word is already in your heart, and it will benefit you. You'll get an advantage from that. Amen? Amen. Well, glory be to God. Let's have some fellowship and coffee. And if you need prayer, ministry, come on up and see the word.